Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production in life, in the restaurant business, and in the new creator economy. We learn through lessons and stories. I want to give a special shout out to Toast, our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurants here in San Diego for believing in storytelling, uh, for giving us the hospitality and the opportunity, the stage uh, to connect with incredible storytellers, hospitality professionals, and chefs all over the world. I'm really, I'm really fired up for today's episode because uh, as part of my due diligence, I've got to do a digital deep dive on each of the guests that we bring on the show to make sure that they're top of their game. And uh, Chef Jesse Ito, he is on top of his game, and uh, he's here to share all the secrets. Jesse, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here. I can't wait to get into your story. I want to know where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? I mean, it all has to be Philadelphia. I don't have much time to go see any of those things, but, you know, <laughs> huge Eagles fan. There's a big game tonight. Um, I don't know if I had the nerves to watch it, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, everything in Philly. I'm a huge Philadelphia fan. I'm always okay. rooting for our city. What's the stadium where the the Eagles play? What's who's who's the title sponsor? Do we know? Uh, Lincoln Financial. Lincoln Financial. Okay, we're gonna go to Lincoln Financial. I'll talk to Entrepreneur Toast. We'll get some sponsors involved, but I want to bring the people that play the game within the game. So the people you that listen to this show, um, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, uh, we're gonna do a TEDx style presentation and i'm going to give jesse the mic on the 50 yard line and i want him to mic drop this entire crowd 60,000 70,000 i'm not sure how many fit in that stadium but they're going to all be chefs they're all going to be hospitality professionals content creators and i want to know who are you and what do you believe in oof and that's tough to summarize in one line but no i don't want a one am... line i don't want a one line you got a mic drop you got you don't you don't need a monologue but just give give me uh Get us, get the crowd fired up. Let us know who you are. I mean, I'm a Japanese, Korean, American chef. Um, I am a lot of my heritage and a lot of who I've become given my circumstances. I would say I grew up in a very traditional household. My parents, like my father owned the restaurant for 37 years. He's, he's from Japan. He's a chef. And, but being very American, I wanted to pursue my own way, my own dreams. Um, but my dad still works with me, so it's been a huge part of who I am. And to carry that along and support my, my family is a huge part of you know what I've created. Um, but I'm the chef owner of Royal Azakaya. Um, I've had it for seven years. It's it's here in Philadelphia, Queen Village, a great neighborhood. And um, yeah, I have the Azakaya is a bump in like Japanese bar setting. We we seat about seventy people in there, and then I have an omakase. I do personally five nights a week, uh, 16, 16 people, eight seats. So as an amakase chef, you never take days off. You're you, you told me before we started recording, this is your day off. And yet here you are telling your story to entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to summarize exactly what sous chef does because there's so much work. I did just do a Bon Appetit video that kind of outlines the whole day from yeah, I, maybe you saw it, but like getting the, oh, we're putting the we're, we're putting a link into the show notes. That Bon Appetit, whoever's on the media team, content team, that was fire. It it dropped twelve days ago. It already has one point two million views. One of them, including me. 
So you brought us into the story and uh, we want the listeners to to check out that video. It, it was amazing, man. No, I'm so happy I did it. Um, you know, I was I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to to do video stuff. I don't love I still haven't even watched it. I don't love watching myself on video. I don't like <laughs> listening to myself on podcasts. I just do what I do. But I did it because, you know, it's it's good for everyone to see what goes into a day because the omakase experience it is a show in itself. Like I am there performing in front of you, making your food, talking to you, engaging, but that's just a very small element. I mean, most of restaurant in general is all prep. It's 80% prep. And then kind of service is just executing. And if you've ever been to a restaurant where there's like a lack of service or like, you know, there, it takes forever to get your food or there's a problem. It's probably because the prep, there was a gap in the prep time. Yeah. You can't, you can't expect to cook all that food exactly from scratch as soon as you open up some of a lot of the work is done prior with sushi as you'll see in the video i mean it starts for me at 8 a.m receiving the fish from japan we get three deliveries from japan um so i'm really glad we did the video i hope the viewers get to see it to kind of go into depth what you know my day is Walk, walk us through for the people that haven't seen the video. We're going to put a link sure. in here because it was Bon okay. Appetit, straight shout out. I mean, it was it was, it was was beautiful, but explain to us behind the scenes kind of the, the day in the life. Yeah, so the day, the video takes place on the first day of service, first day of the week. That is the first shipment from Japan, um, from Toyosu Market in, in uh, Tokyo. So the fish essentially goes through a time loop because it takes 14 hours to get here. And, uh, you know, it, it, it arrives here almost like back in time because of the time difference. <laughs> it leaves it leaves Monday and it, it arrives. It arrives Monday night here in Philadelphia. <laughs> or it actually arrives in JFK, New York, and then it gets picked up by my vendors. It arrives to me in Philadelphia Monday or Tuesday morning. So that's the first shipment uh, available to us in Italy from Japan. So the fish, the fish was like they were swimming in. Monday morning in, in Japanese waters, a lot of these fish, uh, super fresh. Uh, I have to receive them Tuesday and my menu is 17 courses. So I have to have at least 17 different varieties of fish on hand. So also you'll see the bill, <laughs> they, they do a little invoice. <laughs> saw that. The, the Tuesday one is about like, you know, $12,000. That's only one of three deliveries. Yeah. You know, it's crazy if you think about it. I, I always Tuesdays I always receive a hundred fifty pound like tuna loin from a five hundred pound Spanish fish bluefin. Um, that has to get broken down. I also have been dry aging recently. I, I'm a brand ambassador for Dry Ager. They make they make um, these amazing products that help chefs and home consumers kind of dry age meat and fish at home or at a restaurant. So I dry aged a lot of my fish. I dry aged portions of the bluefin tuna. Um, and yeah, from 8 o'clock a.m., I, I get to the restaurant. I start receiving the product. My team starts breaking down immediately. I have to start doing the rice, all the miso plus sauces, go over the menu. Um, I also have to put the order in for the following week because all the fish, if you don't put it in by that day, the Japanese office won't accept it. So all your fish has to be outlined for Tuesday delivery, Thursday delivery, Friday delivery. Where's the fish from? How much weight is the fish? Each one. Really? Like you get to pick that. And that, that kind of dictates the price of the. Are you, are these digital orders? Are you? I just text my, yeah, <laughs> I text my, um, my sales rep. Yeah, she, she's in um, New York. They don't have so online I, ordering yet. 
Um, I'm sure there is a way, but a lot of this is, I mean, the text is really easy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then I call her and, does you know, we, we talk. You, does she text you a pricing sheet? So every month there is a pricing sheet of like the general list of what's available in Japan. But like these, my salesperson doesn't say, she doesn't give me recommendations. It's not like, yep. Hey, like this is the best right now. I, as a chef, I need to know what's in season. Yeah. I need to know what's best. And you can't completely just trust your salesperson. As I get weekly deliveries, I look at the fish and how it's trending. So you can see if a fish is starting to like, you know, maybe the gut's starting to get a little soft. There's not as fatty. So you have to change it out and you respond to that. So it's always up to me to kind of choose it. How do you, how do you learn what information to get? What, what sources do you, do you use? <laughs> I mean, you only learn through experience. I've been, I've been, so to backtrack, my father opened a restaurant in 1979. Um, and I started working there when I was 14 years old. I'm almost 35. Um, I started working as a dishwasher yeah. and he put, he kind of put me in the sushi bar, threw me in there when I was 15, one day a week. I, I would have like rice all over, stuck all over my hands. It'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I started, I started that long ago. So it, the best way to learn is through apprenticeship. You have to apprentice and work at places and work with the product. There's no, you can read books and nowadays, I mean, you can just watch YouTube and learn a lot, but the only way is to learn through a chef working with the product. Mm -hmm. And it's a day-to-day -day grind that is like Japanese food in general, especially sushi is just execution at the highest level. Yeah. And traditionally, if you go to a lot of omakases, they're all very similar because they're just trying to execute at the best they can on the techniques. So the way they cut the fish, the way they age it, their sauces. Um, so that in itself is amazing. Any traditional omakase is amazing. But I, as a, you know, I'm an American chef. I like to also incorporate other influences. I like to just change it. I don't feel bound to those. So it's fun to play around a bit and not be so traditional, but I still pay huge respect to that. Now, when your father owned the restaurant that you were working in, was he buying fish from Japan as well? Yeah, he was. And, um, you know, I use, I use a company that he also used for decades. Really? Um, Which company is that? Yeah. I use Yama seafood. Um, they they, they distribute to some of the best, uh, sushi restaurants in New York. Pennsylvania, New Jersey. They're amazing. Um, it, it's just, I do have to say, like, I, I have used multiple vendors through the years. The thing with them I do have to speak highly of is just their organization and the way they pack things. People don't think about this. The fish, when it's flying over, if it's not wrapped a certain way, if it's touching, like, the dry ice a certain way, it's going to freeze and ruin the product. You can't, like, constrict it in a bag. Otherwise, it's going to suffocate in its own juices. Like, it's so pristinely packed and organized and the way they work with the invoicing and showing me what my order was the day before, just so I'm ready. It's very organized. Not all companies are like that. So I, I can only speak highly of that, but they are expensive. All this fish is super crazy expensive. And the thing with them is if there is ever a problem, I, you know, there's no, there's not many questions asked. I get my money back. There's not, this is rarely a problem. Um, but for the audience out there, these fish range from between 15 to $150 a pound head on. So <laughs> it's expensive. How do you manage your food costs? Is there any tech that you use to do that or is it old school? 
So I would have to, they, we don't use tech. Um, <laughs> we don't use tech. You guys use we Toast. Use, we, oh yeah, we do use Toast. You do Love use Toast. toast. I saw that. Um, <laughs> the thing with, the thing with Royal between the Izakai and the Omakase is because we're so busy, we don't have any waste and our prices are where they need to be. Food cost always falls in line. Yep. Yeah. For you, when you think about the work that you're doing now and your father working with you, what does it what does it mean to have him back in in your kitchen now? <laughs> I mean, it's a huge honor, like to have him there. He he's he's seventy one, and I think it's really great for him to, you know, still be in the kitchen a little bit. He he doesn't work much anymore. He was he was a badass chef in his heyday. I mean, I feel bad for him that you know, social media and the internet just wasn't where it is today. Because he was known amongst all the great chefs in Philly as like the the guy to go to. George Perrier, who used to own the back fin, he had his staff party there multiple times. Mark Vetri from Vetri, you know, had his staff party there, and that's how I met like Michael Salmanoff and all these amazing like chefs who are a generation ahead of me because they used to go to my dad who was known as the spot to go to and he kind of built this foundation he was part of building the japanese culture food scene in this tri-state area um so it was a it was big shoes to fill um and having him there is is really great he's he's helped me through this whole journey you know i opened royal izakai when i was 27 and my parents my mom and dad sold their restaurant to come on board with me. i mean it's wow. huge it was like the burden, if you could imagine, of of that was there was no option but to succeed because failure would mean not only for me I would fail, but they would be they wouldn't have nothing because they trusted me in this. You know that's just not acceptable because I could I could rebound at twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, yeah. whatever I would be fine, but not my parents. So it was. Um, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have done it without them. So I'm so glad that they've been part of this journey. How did you know you were ready? I mean, are you ever ready? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> not to honestly open Sean, to get in this business. <laughs> dude, when the I, restaurant business? No. <laughs> <laughs> looking back now, I kind of, I, I was, I mean, I was so bullish back then. I was, I love it. I think you kind of need that tenacity, right? You do. But I kind of think I was also an idiot in some ways, but like, cause like, oh my God, the risk was he, <laughs> but my business partners believed in me. My parents believed in me. I believed in myself. I mean, we strongly believed in this concept of what we were doing, where we were going to go from the get go. I mean, it was very, we identified exactly what we were going to do. You know, I wrote my vision statement way back when, and it's exactly what it is. It is the vision know? statement. I mean, I have to pull it up <laughs> so I could read it. I could if you watch. I mean, it's essentially saying Izakaya is going to be this neighborhood Japanese restaurant, Japanese bar that's going to knock down like the walls and barriers to Japanese cuisine and be super approachable. And that's what it is. Like you come in, it's very Philadelphia in there. It, it doesn't. It doesn't seem a lot of Japanese restaurants just when you go in just look so Asian, right? There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But then when you come into our place. It looks like turn of the century kind of Victorian Philadelphia tin ceilings, tin walls, old old floor. We have this like hundred year old bar that we brought in from Middle America, cool. um, and it looks like Japanese people maybe 
just inhabited this old bar. We just have like posters of here and signs and like little Japanese trinkets all over. Um, and that's, that just makes it super comfy. I mean, it's, it's a great vibe. And then you walk in a little more and there's a Norin, you walk past that, then you come into my omakase room, which has a, a, a bit of a different vibe. It is, it's definitely more like contemporary Japanese as, um, but it fits. And the dichotomy of the two rooms really plays into it. So like it plays into the experience because a lot of omakase experiences are almost like a temple, quiet, maybe this maybe music with no lyrics or no music, right? It is, it's very intense. Mine, I have my playlists going. We have like old school hip hop, funk, you know, like David Bowie going on. And there's no speakers in the omakase room, but all the sound is emanating it. All the humming of a busy restaurant is coming in. So every, all my guests feel super comfortable to talk, talk to each other, talk to other guests, talk to me. It doesn't feel pretentious where, you feel so stuffy where you're like, okay, I, I can't, I can't just let loose and have fun here. So I really have, love that. Do you have an oh shit story of somebody crazy that came to your restaurant that you couldn't believe that you were you were serving that you're able to share? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I. Sh- <laughs> I don't know if I should share. It. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had, had some. I mean. Look, I've had some amazing chefs come through. I've had some really cool um, influencers, you could say, or like, you know, famous people. Like, like some Eagles players come in, Some a lot of people from L.A. I, I, I don't want to go to an ad- I don't want to name drop. But no, yeah, no some, name some dropping. <laughs> no name dropping today. As far as uh, social media goes, let's talk about Instagram photography. Um, I know that you you do a phenomenal job. Um, the content that you guys put out, not just on your page, but on the restaurant page is straight fire. Uh, we're going to put links into the show notes so you guys can give them a follow. Uh, bring me through the journey uh, of, were you doing social for your family restaurant before you opened yours? I was. So you're doing Facebook? Back in I was the day? Doing Facebook, constant contact, eye contact. Const- oh, that's what Remember I'm talking that? about. There we go. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, so in high school, I, I was not good at math and I was not good at science. I took my mom forced me to take all the AP courses and I was a straight C student in them, <laughs> but I, I love art and I love photography. I love ceramics, 3d art. I would double up on photography every year. I would take two courses. I wouldn't even take a lunch. Um, I love photography. Awesome. I love it. I love marketing and I love entrepreneurship. I went to school for business marketing while working at my parents' restaurant. They wouldn't let me go to culinary school. Really? Um, Which, what business school did you go to? I went to Rutgers. I commuted. I had a commute. Um, I got a good scholarship there. Um, yeah, and I learned a lot. After, I mean, I kind of, I almost flunked out the first year because I never went to class. But after that, I, I learned my lesson that, and I learned a lot. <laughs> um, but... So in 2008, 2009, I graduated high school in 2007. I was applying all these principles I was learning at school with branding and, and like pricing and all this stuff and operations in my restaurant and my parents' restaurant because my, my dad's a phenomenal chef and my mom is such a hard worker. She was running the front of the house and doing all the, like, the bookkeeping. Um, but they had no idea about just kind of streamlining things and yeah. how to reach their market, you know, how to, how to 
create some noise, you know. Um, and yeah, I got to, I got, and also 2009 is when the economy kind of was collapsing. Yep. And the restaurant was dead. It was so scary. So I had a lot of downtime. And when I had downtime working in the restaurant, I would just go to my dad's office and type in contacts. I created these, I used my graphic design skills in Adobe. I created these like cards that collect people's information as they came in. I would input info on constant contact, eventually eye contact. Um, and yeah, I do weekly email blasts and I take photos. I showcase what the special is. I take a picture, I write a little message. And even if it only brought in 10 people, that's still money. And yeah. that's the thing about marketing is like the ROI. What is the ROI? Like, I don't want to just create noise. I want, I need customers to walk through the door. Yeah. Facebook, Facebook ads. I didn't, I didn't really spend Facebook ads because that was, that was kind of expensive and, and it was a little harder to track. Like I did, you know, did that create, create an actual customer. Mm -hmm. Um, but the email marketing at the time is, yeah, I was using that. And Instagram was just coming around. Did you guys do any old school advertising? We did, and it sucked. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> like, what were you uh, doing? Like, oh, I, I'm, like, la I'm only laughing because I did it all. We opened in 2008, and we did. We made every marketing mistake in the handbook. <laughs> we actually advertised in Yellow Pages. That's how long ago 2008 was. Yes, we did. Yeah. We did yellow pages, ridiculous, <laughs> right? Ridiculous, I mean, absolutely. Book, fucking like, where do you find? And then, um, absurd. And then, absurd. And then, like the local town, my dad's restaurant, and like pitch us on their like magazine thing. Yep. And, you know, like marketing numbers are so crazy. Like anyone can pit, throw around distribution, like exposure. Like, yeah, this reaches like a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand people. Sure. But yeah, if you just <laughs> drop it off at their door, you could say it reaches them, but that doesn't mean they read it. Correct. Like the way I approach marketing is always, um, I, it's like through what? What do I do? Do I ever open these things? No, I never. Yeah. Open, like, never open these brochures. I just toss them out. They just drop it off. So coupons. Oh man, coupons were a thing also back then. Still I remember. Um, it was Groupon. We didn't do it. I, I refused to do it. I was like. Hell no, we are not doing Groupon. It, it just, but no, we didn't do those. But we did like yeah, yellow pages and kind of stuff like that, which you you can't even track that unless you put a coupon in. So, in since 2012, I've been on my own journey of sobriety, and I've read recently that you've shared uh, that you've been sober as well, and I yeah only bring it up in this space knowing that there's restaurateurs hospitality professionals that listen to this show and i know that it can be a lonely place that you think that nobody knows what's going on um, but for how hard we work as entrepreneurs to try to run these businesses um i got into a dark place and i'm just grateful that i'm here now able to build a media company on top of our restaurant company to have conversations like this, that hopefully one person that listens to this knows that there are places to reach out to, like, you're not alone. Like you do not have to, you know, burn the candle on both ends. Uh, for you, why was it important for you to share your journey? First of all, congrats to you on, on, you know, on your sobriety. Thank you. Um, it's huge. You know, um, Sorry, what was the question you just asked? Well, the question is, you know, I mean, 
we both serve alcohol. <laughs> you know, we're both yeah. we, we both are in the alcohol business, yet we've we chosen are. to to be sober, but not only be sober to share our sob sobriety with others. Um, why do you share your sobriety with others? Yeah, um, there's two reasons. One, I, I only shared it publicly after a year um, because I wanted to make sure I, I wasn't going to relapse in that first year. Um, and then after I shared, it was one kind of holding myself accountable in a crazy way because I'm like, if I if I publicize this, I really can't go back. I can't lie to everyone. I can't lie to myself. That was one. And two, it's as you said, it, it can be a lonely place. It can be a place of, you know, you don't feel great about yourself. You're embarrassed. You, um, there's a lot of negativity around it. I just, I wanted it to be public so that any chefs or people in the restaurant industry who may be going through something can see like, you know, I'm, it's, it's, People go through this and it's okay to admit that you have a problem if you do. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise everyone out there who does go through this to publicize it. You know, there's a reason why it's somewhat anonymous. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to be out there for people to reach out to if they need to. And I and you know, a lot of cooks have reached out to me and I tried to help them because I, I know I know that that route will lead to destruction. It's either destruction or death for people who have who have an issue uh, with substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever. Um, but as you know, it's only the beginning. Once you once you stop them, then 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 we have to figure out how to deal with life yeah. <laughs> in general. It's yeah. it, you know stopping those things is not is not the end of it. It's only the beginning. And it's, I hope, you know, you've probably experienced the same thing. It's a beautiful awakening to what could be. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, I'm always reminded of the Friday night lights quote of clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. And I used to pretend and bullshit my way through pretending that people didn't know that, you know, I was struggling or I was having a difficult time. And now, you know, sober, it's, it's much easier. It's much easier to work on the, the higher, higher calling and the higher things that we want to do and we want to accomplish when you take time away for you, you know, it's hard to do being an entrepreneur, being a chef, running your business. Is there anything that you do specifically? Jesse time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesse <laughs> laughing about it. Laughing. <laughs> Because I, I mean, my days to myself, like today was a day to myself, right? I just had a bunch of meetings with people I like and, 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 and business stuff. But for me, it's about human connection. Yeah. I mean, like real genuine human connection that, that, that speaks to me and that's worthwhile to me. Um, so grabbing a coffee with someone I just love, like I respect and I love and I like, like hanging out with. That to me just, you know, reinvigors me. Um, otherwise, I like traveling. I like working out. I like doing yoga. Um, I always say it's really important for entrepreneurs and people who are all about the grind to kind of also appreciate the downtime and build it in. Because I have to be honest with you, 
the times that I've just been doing nothing where I just take a week off and I'm laying around at the beach are the times where I've had the most significant kind of epiphanies of what I need to do in business and what I need to do for myself and what I need to do for the team. Um, it's because the day-to-day people like us, like it's just nonstop. It's just executing, right? It's just like, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. There's not much time to really reflect on what needs to change. So I feel like taking serious downtime where you're not doing anything is actually the time where you might find the most growth because that silence kind of, and not doing your day to day is where you can kind of see in and look at it. You look at your life from a step back and just be like, okay, that needs to change. That's not healthy. I need to do that. This, this has to happen. And then when you get back, you're fired up to execute, fired up to go. Is there anything recently that you've changed your mind on that you had a strong belief before that now you've changed your mind? That's a tough one. Maybe doing podcasts and, and videos like don't have to <laughs> the past year. Um, you definitely need to do more content, man. You're everything you're doing is fire. And the, like, just the video alone that you did and the stuff that you've shared, I mean, you're impacting people all over the globe. I mean, we're, we're living through a crazy time where if you have internet access, if you have Instagram, YouTube podcasts, you can connect with people all over the world. And, uh, we need the, the world needs more of what you're doing. It, it's so impressive. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. In terms of your other question, I'll get back to it. I have to think. <laughs> you have to think about it. Fair enough. Um, is there anything you haven't done because of fear? Oof. I mean, I haven't opened more restaurants. I haven't. How do you, how do you scale an omakase concept? Well, the best way is to, through your apprentices, eventually they run the next one and they run your current one. Um, I do have apprentices and they're, they're amazing. Um, you know, we're not there yet. Uh, also they're, they're, to me, the, everyone kind of expands. Um, and the, I have a fear of not working with the people I love working and a natural part of expansion is kind of diluting, right? Cause you are spreading your best talent to run the new places. Mm -hmm. And right now just having one restaurant, you know, and about 30 staff and, a lot of these people have been there for at least two years, some of them seven years. Um, you know, it, it's, there's nothing more fulfilling to me than working with people I enjoy and I respect. Um, I would say that is, that is a fear of losing that, but I know inevitably that's something I'll have to come to terms with because it's probably, it's part of the process. It's part of, it's part of growth. Why is the magic in the rice? <laughs> Oof, rice is everything. I mean, sushi, sushi means sour, and it, it refers to the rice. It doesn't refer to the fish. It doesn't mean raw fish. Um, the rice is is what gives it all the complexity. The rice is what differentiates good sushi from great sushi because you can't just buy good rice. You have to make it. I mean, I buy really nice rice. Um, it's it's 
Hitomebore Koshikari, which is like phenomenal grain. It looks like little gems. It's so beautiful. And it comes out, the texture is so amazing. But like technically, you have to know how to wash. You have to know a strain. You have to know the time on it. You have to know how just based on the crop. Is it a new crop? Is it old crop? Does it need more time, more water? As the season changes, um, you have to have your vinegar mixture to kind of give it the flavor. It gives it acidity and umami and salinity. Um, it gives your sushi texture. I mean, rice, I, I mentioned earlier, I love pottery work, right? Growing up and my, my teacher, my 3D arts teacher, Mr. Ferenzi, so talented. He, he would, he was always pushing me to go into art. He was like, you know, Jesse, you're amazing at this. Why don't you like do this for a living? Um, rice to me is just an extension of clay. I mean, you look at any sushi chef, they're molding. I'm molding with my hand, the pieces. And if you look on Instagram, I can, I can just tell if a place is good based on the way the sushi looks. There's like an air to the rice. There's a, there's a, it looks different. Um, and that's all due to rice. And if you don't have good rice, you can't make good sushi. And once you have it as a, as a, as a consumer, you can never go back to gummy, hard, cold rice. No. How long does it take to teach someone how to make proper rice? Well, I mean, the technical aspect, I could probably teach them in a few months if I really wanted to hone in. But I don't teach the apprentices. The rice is, I hold that for much later. They start on vegetable work. They start on like fish prep, cutting, scaling, cleaning, cutting, knife techniques. Rice is so critical that it's much later. How much later? At the end. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion at the end i also i i do it i do it for my i i make the rice every day for my own country. and then my other chef does it for the izakaya he's been a chef for decades so he knows how to do it um but the the rice is critical and as i said it's what separates good from great so every single week uh, on LinkedIn, we connect with the community. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, we want to hear from you. We want to hear about your restaurant. If you're a content creator, we want to hear from you. Uh, you can DM me on LinkedIn at Sean P. Waltreff. I'll send you the link to the live podcast. Uh, you can join us on stage. Uh, we also do a social shout out. This week's social shout out goes to Media Beast, uh, Media Beast underscore editor, uh, his name's JC. He does phenomenal short form video editing work, and he has uh, been showing up, been doing all the work. Jesse, I want to give you a chance. One person. I know you have a whole team, but I need one person that's been a shining star for your restaurant. Who can you shout out for entrepreneur? Ooh. My uh, chef who runs the Izakaya, Justin Bacharach. He's uh, he's worked with me for three years now since the pandemic and we, since we reopened and you know, prior to COVID, I was, I was doing all the Izakaya hiring, firing, management, food ordering, as well as omakase. And we were open seven days a week and late night. And one of the, so one of the epiphanies I had actually after sobering up was, was that it doesn't have to be this way. It's, it's crazy to have those, those realizations where it doesn't have to be this way. It, we this you know, this can change. So I decided to hire a chef to run the Izakaya and help. And, and he's like one of a kind. He's a shining star. He, he's become a great friend of mine. We actually just got coffee today and caught up. Um, such a hard worker, so talented. 
He was amazing. And overall, and the most important thing is he's nice and empathetic. And as a leader, that's so important because, you know, we want to cultivate good culture, good people, take care of everyone. Uh, and he certainly does that. Yeah, it's amazing. It it reminds me of a Tim Ferriss quote. What would this look like if it was easy? You know, and we're, we, we are the antithesis of easy <laughs> in the restaurant business. We, we, make things, we make things as hard as possible. <laughs> of course, once, once you get a system down and it becomes easy, we got to make it harder. <laughs> we find a way or, or we open up more restaurants. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, before I let you go, I want to ask you about your smartphone usage. Uh, we believe in smartphone storytelling. We believe everybody that's listening to this, you have a voice, you have a story, you have the opportunity to share your voice with the world on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube. Uh, Jesse, which phone do you use? I, iPhone or an Android? iPhone. iPhone. Which version? I think I have a 13. I only buy it when my battery dies. Okay. When your battery dies is when you upgrade. Yeah. Do you always upgrade your software? Uh, when it tells me to. Do you prefer <laughs> emails or texts? Texts. Do you prefer texts or phone calls? Oof. Depends. Depends <laughs> on what we need to talk about. Depends on who's selling. <laughs> Somebody's selling you something. Uh, how many emails do you get a day? I like 50. How many do you enjoy reading? Maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite app on your iPhone? I Instagram. That's what I use the most. What is your least or the favorite? the camera. The camera. The camera app. There you go. Camera app do you, is Do amazing. you take more photos with your phone or with your camera? Everything you see on Instagram, most of it is my my actual like uh, DSL. But um, I do take a lot of pictures on my phone because the the iPhones are amazing. Yeah, for sure. Where do you listen to music? Which plat? Which app? Spotify. Spotify. How often do you listen to music? All day, every day. All day, every day. What's your least favorite app? Like Facebook. <laughs> uh, and as. And as far as something a mentor has taught you, what is a lesson or a quote that a mentor has taught you that you can share with our audience? Something that a mantra. It's better to be everything to someone rather than something to everyone. It's amazing. Best way for people to find you is on Instagram. Yes. Instagram is the best way. I'm not really on anything else. And how long does it take to get a reservation at your restaurant? How many months in advance are we at currently? Well, someone just came in um, on Saturday and he said it took him two years to get in. It took him but, two years to get in? Yeah. Um, you have to catch a cancellation. Really? How far out is yeah. it? How far? What's your reservation platform you use? Resi. You use Resi? And how far out does Resi book? Well, we book 90 days out. So after so ninety days, how do you get into a lottery, or how does it work? You just have to sign up every day for a notification. Every day for a notification. If if, if there's a cancellation, that's amazing. You're like a rock star. <laughs> it's uh no, I mean it. So the thing is, most, is there a secondary most, market for reservations? 
Not yet. No, I, I, I actually, I, I try to keep on tab on that. I don't want people selling it. Um, but I, uh, most of eighty percent of my clientele are repeats. It's not it's more, because when you're in, you can read book. That's the thing. Because I, I think it's important to foster that, especially as a sushi chef. We, I, I spend more time with my customers than I do with my friends. I see yeah. some of these people. We spend two hours together. Like I, I have, I have had customers that I, I'm feeding that I've known that I've been feeding for like 17 years. And a lot mm -hmm. of these regulars who are there now, yeah, years, once you're in, they, they just, I, I get to know them for years. I mean, it's a thing we, we grow together. I see them get married, have kids, their kids eventually start coming. It's, it's really rewarding to see that and have that relationship. Since the restaurant's been open, have you ever missed a service? I've been sick a couple of times. But if it if if it if I'm not feeling well, we cancel and we we rebook everyone. It's like a show. Wow. Like if that Taylor Swift is sick. I'm not comparing myself to Taylor Swift. I'm not that sick. But you know, the, the show Taylor doesn't Swift go on. Is sushi? I love it. No. Let's not start. Let's not start that. <laughs> this is, uh, Chef Jesse Ito, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I will hopefully one day uh, be lucky enough with me and my wife to sit in front of you and uh, enjoy that amazing rice. With I would love to have you. That would yeah. be phenomenal. And if for whatever reason you make a quick trip to San Diego, please uh, come and sit at our, our barbecue. It's not barbecue omakase, but one day maybe barbecue omakase. Um, come have some barbecue at our at our spot. I would love that. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having Absolutely. me on. We appreciate you guys. As always, stay curious, get involved, and don't be afraid to ask for help. We will catch you guys all next week. Thank you. Bye.